You are listening to the Conquering Evers podcast. This here is episode 38. Welcome to the Conquering Nevers Podcast. My name is Brian Talor, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for choosing to spend a bit of your day here with me. Now, before we get into today's episode, I have some exciting news I want to share with everyone, and that is that I've recently launched my own coaching practice, which I call Everest Conversion Coaching. Within this practice, I help people reclaim their true identities, rediscover their purpose and passions and live their lives with conviction and courage. If that sounds like you, then I invite you to go check out the website www.conqueringeverest.com. You can schedule yourself for a free 60-minute discovery call and I guarantee even that free 60 minutes you're going to walk away with results because I'm a results-driven kind of guy and that's you know, hey, that's how I do business, you know? So, hey, check it out. Check out the website. I would appreciate your support. Also, I have a very important ask of everyone. If you would, please spread the word about Conquering Ever's podcast. If you if you don't mind, share this episode on social media. Let your family and friends know. And, and you know what? If you want to support the podcast, if you'd like to support the podcast, I've got a Patreon page set up which I will put the link in the description for you below. You can check it out. A couple dollars a month will go a long way to help this podcast continue to grow and be the best that it can be, bringing you real people with real stories, providing real hope. On today's episode, I have a fantastic conversation with Ron Worley. Ron is the author of Ditches to Riches. Ron also went from a being a homeless addict to a self-made business owner, launching 11 businesses with four retail locations through developing his own code, which he calls the Worley Way. The Worley Way is a set of virtues to live by, and it paved the way to overcoming his hardships and developing his life built on trust, bravery, family, and freedom. Now he's help, helping others to do the same. This is Ron's story. All right. I am here with Ron Worley. Ron, welcome to the Conquering Evers podcast. Ah, oh, thank you, Brian. Nice to see you, and thanks for having me on, man. Oh, certainly. Uh, you've got a really good story that I can't wait to get into, but before we do that, why don't we give our listeners uh, a little introduction to who Ron Worley is? Yeah, you bet. So I am a hardworking family man uh, who believes in trustworthy and bravery and a whole bunch of other values that uh, they'll have to read my book to find out. But I, what I do is uh, I, I'm recently a new author, uh, but I'm in real estate and I've been doing bail bonds for 25 years. Uh, an entrepreneur spirit. So I've opened a whole bunch of companies, probably 11 or 12 as of the last time I did my media sheet anyways. Uh, and that's me in a nutshell. Predominantly, I'm a family man. That's what I, that's what I think I am. Very cool. Uh, you, I was looking at your website, and, and, and we've got on here one of your descriptors is uh, a millionaire and an advisor. Yeah. It sounds like a, that sounds like a great place to be, 
but it wasn't always that way for you. No. Let's let's take a trip back in time and um, you know go back to that time where you kind of had a, a shift in your life that uh, you know that you had to recover from. Yeah. So and and the reason we put that in there is because I'm I'm not a I, I do everything for free. I, I feel like I'm uh, an advisor for life, uh, and you know I just so happen to have made some money along my uh, career, and uh, I just want to help other people. It, it, my language is that you are an ex your business is an extension of you, and if you're unhealthy, your business is going to be unhealthy. And so I try to clear that up right away, and I help them with the first part, which is uh, helping themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, so back in 2003, uh, I was homeless and addicted and uh, to everything. Anything I touched, I was, you know, I uh, did it way too much. Uh, predominantly alcohol, though, and uh, I, I was even to a point where I'd lost everything in my life, including my home and my family. And um, here I was in Nebraska, just homeless and had nowhere else to go. And I just rolled my second car uh, in as many years. And uh, when I come out of the, I, I got pitched from the vehicle and, you know, it was in pretty bad shape. When I woke up in the hospital, uh, it clicked that, hey, you're, you're not going to die. So it's probably time to change something. Uh, and God's got something for you because you've tried really hard to, yeah. to, to kill myself. So uh, that, was, that was the switch. I, I had been six months without seeing my kids at that point, And that was brutal. Uh, in my heart. And, and I know it was brutal for them. Um, they don't remember it at all now, but at the time it was horrible for them. And uh, we were tight up to that point. And uh, I, I, you know, my father wasn't around. And so I was putting myself in their place, but also I was putting myself in his place. And the amount of alcohol and drugs and addictions that he had was simply to drown that feeling of not having your kids around. Um, and so it's like perpetual cycle, man. And, and I was in the cycle. So thank God for me, I had, uh, my mom before me that was sober at that time, I think like 10 years. Um, and I just, you know, that was time to change. So yeah. off, to, off to AA, I went, <laughs> what was life before that, that moment for you? Like, um, I mean, had you, would you have considered yourself successful in business? Sounds like you had your family. Um, so from, you know, from that, that standpoint, you, you were doing well, but how would you describe your life before, before it all came, came crush, yeah. crush, crumbling down on you? So I had periods of good times in between all the bad times. Um, I, every time things were going good, I would find a way to make it all come tumbling down. And that, that was from the, the beginning. Um, my parents got me high my first time on marijuana when I was two years old and it was an oncurring event to keep me from, to help me go to sleep and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and by the time I was 12, I was a full blown alcoholic drug addict. Um, I was in seventh grade. I was out, you know, stealing alcohol from, from parents and drinking and, uh, every single weekend. So, uh, you know, it eventually that caught up, um, when I when I got away from my family, I went to 3,500 miles away from, from Alaska where I graduated high school to Nebraska where I was hopefully going to play football uh, and to, left to my own vices, um, 
I think I made it there two years and was kicked out of school the first year and the second year um, and never went back. So, you know, I, I had up to that point, I had done many things uh, through alcoholism and dr drug addiction that would take me 10 steps back. Um, you know, I, I cheated on my wife. I, uh, I treated her like I would come home angry and drunk and, uh, all that good stuff. And, and to that point, I mean, I, I was raised by a wife beating, uh, alcoholic myself. And what I saw men do was go home, beat their wives, have sex with them and then get up and go to work. And, uh, that was life. And that's what I thought it was. And, and even though I knew better, it just, that, that was the easy path. Um, it was to tear up my marriage. So, you know, I think I was married the first time for four years and, uh, it was miserable for her the entire four years. Yeah. yeah. Talk a little bit about your parents. So, uh, you know, it sounds like they, they had their own addictions that they were fighting with as well. And then to pull you in at such a young age, did you ever have any conversations as an adult with either your mother or father to kind of go back and look at that time and, and ask why or anything like that? Yeah. So, uh, with my mother, uh, she was my biggest enabler and up to 2003, I'd worked for her as a bail agent in her company for, I think three years and I was making good money and, and, you know, things were going good. And, uh, I, I was probably too young to ask, but once I got sober and I could kind of understand where she was coming from, uh, that question was out there. Now in, on that token, our relationship was business. It was not mother son. It had never been mother son from the time I was a little kid. I was her husband. Um, I was my brother's father and I was that male role model until she met my, my stepfather who I call my father. Um, I think I was 14 when that happened. And, uh, so he kind of, you know, he stepped into that role, but, uh, for us, we were just happy to have a relationship. It didn't have to be mother, mother, son relationship. And so, uh, we had that talk. We still have that talk. Um, it's an ongoing thing. I try not to blame her anymore. Uh, but you know, there's things that I've caught on that I do that was just like her. And a lot yeah. of them are positive, bro. A lot of them are positive, but you know, I still have my, I have my demons still. I'm, you know, still normal. Right. Now, as far as my father goes, uh, in fact, he died in 1997. He was killed by the mm. Salina police. Um, oh, man. yeah. And, uh, that was a big deal back then, uh, which caused me a lot of, uh, I, I went down a terrible path after, during uh, probably about a year after he died. Uh, I was just, it was just bad. I couldn't deal with it. So the hardest thing to do is to forgive somebody who's dead. Um, you know, they can't really answer back or anything. So really what I had to do is forgive him and forgive myself uh, for the way I felt about him when he died. Cause you know, we were in a fight and uh, he was not a great man or anything by those means. Right. In, interesting though, um, I have five brothers and sisters below me. My dad had six kids. Me and my brother Les, we think of my father a certain way, and he's definitely fallible, and he's definitely uh, a lot of bad things in, in our eyes. But my youngest brother, who was eight when he died, he's still King Kong. 
you know he was the man he was yeah. you know because he because he died before <laughs> that brother got to see the fallible part in him and um and in all of us he died before we were able to work out any of the the junk that needed to be worked out so yeah, that that's too bad because you know, like you said, it is hard to forgive. But let alone try to forgive somebody that's no longer there, um, it's almost you know. And I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist by any means, and I don't think you are, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but um, you know, it, it's it's almost like you have this. Um, it's like unfinished business, like yeah, a door you want to close, but you you can't quite close it all the way but when when you got to be a family man yourself and a father and a husband and you had mentioned that that you weren't faithful um in in your marriage do you think that was i mean like because i know for me same thing i mean I, I was not faithful in my my marriage and when i got divorced i did a lot of self-reflection i had to sure. figure out i wanted to figure out what why was I the way I was? Did did you have that kind of moment? And if you did, what did you discover about yourself? Yeah, so I did. I have I've had lots of those moments, and I still have those moments where I uh, wonder why. Uh, it, one of the great things about getting sober is I spent five years um, with a counselor. I call it intensive treatment, but it, you know, it was once to twice a week. Um, and the first thing we did was go backwards and figure out, you know, where's all this coming from, from it's all from childhood. This is what I learned. These are behaviors. And then how can I create, uh, how can I correct it? And so I was able to correct a lot of those behaviors with processes. Um, and, but the, you know, the seeing a pretty girl on the side of the road or in, on the street or something, uh, you know, that, that thought is the, the seeing a pretty woman is never going to, you know, I'm still going to think she's pretty. Right. Um, but it's the acting that I no longer have to do. Um, yeah. And yes, I found out that I was um, spoiled or entitled that I thought if they're pretty and they like me, I need to have sex with them and they, they're yeah. obligated to have sex. Um, so, you know, I was getting what I wanted and I didn't respect uh, anything I couldn't see, which the marriage was, you know, just this, it was a code that I was supposed to follow. And, um, I didn't have any respect for that. So I think, you know, in general, men are wired a certain way and, uh, we do believe in codes. And until I actually put it in, put values in my life, yeah. uh, you know, processes and, and things I did reaction, reacting to emotion and all that, it just meant nothing um, until I actually had something to live for. And, you know, now I, I don't drink, I don't cheat. I don't, I don't do those things because my values hold me in place and tell me I can't do them because I can't live with myself. It's no longer getting caught doing it. That worries me. It's I'm catching myself, you know, right. Uh, you know, we all tell white lies and stuff and, and every once in a while I'll bend the truth or move the truth. And I'll be like, dang it. I, you know, I'm doing, I'm catching myself and, and being mad at myself about it. So uh, those are things that changed over the years. <laughs> yeah. I think what you said there, you know, identifying what your true values are, you know, you know, what do you stand for? Uh, that's probably an exercise that not nearly enough of us do. We don't take the yeah. time to really say, what do I value? Who do I want to be? 
And with when you talk about the so the the extramarital relationships, was it a, just physical for you, or was it like the validation from that you got? You know, did it make you feel like more of a man, or was it <clears throat> just purely hey, physical? She looks good. I want to be with her, type thing. No, definitely not the second. Um, I, I found, I find still to this day, um, I feel love through sex. And um, that being said, I was looking for uh, love from a woman uh, because my mom's love as a child was not there. I was never a child to her. I was, like I said before, uh, I was in a relationship with her. And that being said, it was also a very provocative relationship. Um, you know, I, I felt like she was cheating on me when she brought men into the house. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so those kind of feelings, I, I never had the mother love. And, uh, you know, not to say I don't have it now because I do. But, you know, then when it was formidable, I didn't have it. And I was chasing that every time. Uh, I, I was able to capture, I call it capture a woman, uh, you know, that made me feel good. And then, uh, I felt worthy. And then when we would have sex, I would feel the love. And, uh, you know, I hardly ever, uh, just wanted a one night stand. It was, I want you to be my mistress and I want you to be around a while. And, right. you know, and then I would get sick of it. And, you know, so I was almost embarrassing to even talk about cause it was so long ago. Um, you know, and it's just not who I am today or have been in many, many years, 18 years now. <laughs> mm. And you mentioned that you were homeless um, during this time, too. Like, how long was that for you? Was it just a, a brief um, period in time or was it kind of long term? Because it sounds like you had a job or at least you were in the family business for yeah. a while. Were you homeless while gainfully employed? So, no, um, my mom finally fired me. Uh, mm. and that's what I needed. Cause she was, she was done enabling me. Basically I wasn't getting sober. She knew I needed to get sober. Um, and so when she fired me, I spent another year and a half getting into the cocaine and, you know, selling cocaine to, to support my drug habit, uh, and going from job to job that was never fulfilling and all that good stuff. But um, no, I was trying to run away from my problems in Colorado. And so I ran to Nebraska where I had a job promised to me and basically a room to sleep in if I wanted to. Um, I quickly made a mockery of that too. I think I was in and out of there in about a month. I was totally, uh, homeless for about six months is all, mm -hmm. um, and I, and I never was homeless to a point where I was on the street. I always had people that were willing to give me a couch to sleep on. Um, one of the worst feelings I could even think of in my life is where am I going to sleep tonight? And having to ask somebody if I could sleep on their couch tonight is so embarrassing. And so that was the height of being pathetic to me um, that I didn't, you know, here I, I thought I was old. I was 30 years old and homeless and you're supposed to have your life together by then. And, I've already, by then I'd already gone through life, been wealthy and ruined all that and was now homeless. And uh, I, that's a, quite the progression in a short amount of time. But. Yeah. To think about, you know, losing it all. And then when you, 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 that 
coming to Jesus moment is what I like to call it, that, that yep. you hit rock bottom and you're like, okay, I can't go any lower than I've gone. I've, I've got to start climbing out of this. Let's talk a little bit about that process for you. Um, when you when you finally had that realization that, you know, I I don't like where I'm at. Yeah. And you made the conscious decision to start recovering. What, you know, kind of walk us through that process. How did you get back up on your feet? Um, yeah. You know, re reinvent yourself. Yeah. So really what I, so I had to beg my brother for a place to stay. Uh, one last time and he and he gave me the option to stay with him uh only to get sober and so the deal was no drinking no drugging while i was there um and so i stayed at his house for i believe it was two months a month to two months and i just started going to aa i didn't have a job i didn't have any money i didn't have even a house or a place to at least i had a room with my brother and for the first time in six months i actually felt good uh, about where I was sleeping, at least. I still felt like I was uh, an encumbrance to him, but uh, at least he was my brother and he was taking care of me. And uh, so all I had to do was concentrate on getting sober. Now, during this whole time, I didn't have my kids. So my goal was to get my kids. And so a couple months into it, I went to uh, 90 meetings in 30 days. So three times a day for 30 days straight, I had to immerse myself into sobriety just so I, you know, be there because, and then when I wasn't there, I was hanging out with those people too, um, you know, yeah. sitting and drinking coffee and stuff. And, um, and that's how I, that's how I was, how I had to do it. I had to be 110% or not at all. Um, and then I just sort of slowly backed out after 60 days ish, I found a job and, uh, I stuck with it and, I found a one bedroom apartment and uh, got my kids back and that whole process uh, just started that healing. You know, I needed to have my kids in order to feel strong. And so, you know, I, I spent, like I said, five years with a counselor, but the first six months of that sobriety was insane. It was every day picking myself apart and figuring out how I could change and what I needed to change. Um, the, but I celebrated all the little wins. So I went 30 days sober, you know, that was a win. I got my kids back. I got their birthdays. I made them cakes, you know, yes. the little, little things that, uh, yeah. just made me happy and feel, feel good and made my kids feel like I was their father. Um, really nothing else mattered at that point. I, I didn't care what happened as long as they knew I was there for them now. And I just did everything I could to be there. And one of those was staying sober. Right. Um, so, but I've made a lot of good friends in, in, in sobriety at the, the rooms of AA and NA. Uh, but, you know, after a year I stopped going, um, <clears throat> excuse me, for, for me, it was a, uh, I didn't, th there's a bunch of train wrecks in there and it seemed like we were just beating our heads over and over again. And, and I didn't want to be classified as an alcoholic to my community. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I didn't want to walk into a party and somebody asked me if I wanted a drink and I would say, no, I, I don't drink. I'm an alcoholic. Um, I changed that thought process to no, I just don't drink. Um, right. and I did that through actually going to the gym and working out and becoming a bodybuilder because all those people don't drink. They don't put anything bad in their bodies. Right. And, and so that's, I became that so that it would ease the pressure off of not doing 
drugs and alcohol when I was around it. Um, and, and so that was quite the interesting process because you do, you have to, you have to get away from those kind of people. But in today's society that especially in Colorado, everybody gets high and everybody yeah. drinks. So <laughs> I'm going to be around it. Um, and, and I knew that I just didn't want to be, I've always felt like I didn't want to be weird. <laughs> so, right. you know, I just tried to just be me and ultimately I end up having more fun sober than any of these guys that drink too much. And you attract like-minded people. My wife, she doesn't drink. She has, a, you know, alcohol once in a while. My kids all drink, but they don't drink to ruin their lives. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't grow up with it in the house. In fact, we would have parties and people would bring us booze and stuff and that would stay on the counter, but it'd never get opened. Mm -hmm. And, and all three of them respected that. Um, and they've, you know, my son even says, oh, I'm a weekend warrior. I, I get drunk on Fridays and Saturdays and he's making six figures now kicking ass in the world. And, yeah. uh, you know, he's very, uh, they're very responsible. And, and I think that, you know, I quit soon enough that they didn't see the irresponsible side of drinking. Right. They couldn't be. Yeah. They, they didn't see the, they weren't influenced by, by, by your, your, your struggle. Um, right. And I like something that you said a little bit ago is, is you're talking about celebrating those small victories as, as you know, as you were a recovering addict. Um, you know, for me, I, I was kind of smiling and thinking because for me, I, I didn't go through an addiction as much as I just went through depression. Mm -hmm. And I got to a point when I finally wanted to get myself out of that depression and defeat it. Um, I was just celebrating those small little victories. Anything yeah. I could just grab a hold of and say, I did this today yep. and uh, you know, and then you start building and then pretty soon, you know, the, those little rocks, they start building a mountain, you know, and, um, yeah. and you get yourself out. So what, you know, once you, um, you, you recovered um, you, and then you started to build businesses, right? Did you yeah. got back, was it back into um, bail bond or? Yeah. So I, I went back to work for my mom, uh, about six months sober, she asked me if I wanted to write a bond in Denver. And so she had these little, I started part-time worked for her, um, knowing that if I could build her business up, uh, that she could find a full-time, you know, I would be full-time again, uh, yeah. like it used to be. So, it, you know, it's one of those jobs. It's like real estate. You, you have to do it. You can't really just hire a team of people to do it. It's you know, that I have to go write the bond. I have the license. So she could only do so much by herself. And so when I came on, the two of us were able to build that business into a huge, uh, profitable business. And, uh, with my business, uh, so my mom is a lot like me. She's, she's very creative. And the fact that she got into bail bonds in the first place is amazing, but to run systems and run a business, you know, that was all learned and things that I implemented into the company, uh, that helped us be systematic and not go nuts trying to do this job, um, and made it a two person job. So, uh, anyways, yeah, I started opening companies. Uh, th the problem was, is that I made enough money uh, to support everybody, but not to support the lifestyle I wanted. Mm. Um, I wanted the big house. I wanted nice cars. Um, and I was living comfortably and within my means, but I wanted those means to be larger. And so I would start a company that was for me. Um, bail bonds was to support the kids, the child support, the, uh, you know, the ex old lady and all the stuff that they had in between. 
uh, it supported that and it did quite well. For me to have my lifestyle, I had to have something else. So I opened up four retail chain stores um, called Max Muscle. That was the beginning of, of businesses for me uh, that didn't fail. I had a few before that that failed because yeah. of my drug stuff. Um, but the, as soon as I saw the difference, you know, making, uh, being able to implement a business and get profitable and then help other people and then watch those people give me the reward of being my customer. Um, it, it was quite, it was quite unique and I, and I loved it. It was a feeling that I'd never had before. You know, I felt like I earned something, uh, by, by earning their respect. And so we built a hell of a database, my wife and I, uh, through that process. And so every time we start a new company, we've got these built in people, uh, yeah. you know, to, to start our new business. So we've done well with that. We opened a, a real estate brokerage back in 2018. Um, ran that for a while and then sold it because didn't want to do that anymore. So. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and currently I own a development business, um, a build, uh, home building business, a construction company, um, our real estate company and my bail bonds company. And we yeah, have, and then of course I wrote that book. So yeah, stuff the, to do, man. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it sounds like you're pretty busy during the day. Uh, the let's, um, you talked about wanting to build the lifestyle for you fine. You know, you, you, you were taking care of everybody else, your responsibilities, everything was covered. Now you wanted to start building that, that, that life that, that you wanted a um, big house, big car thing or nice car, things like that. Um, where I'm going with this is that, you know, you, you, sometimes you hear, and people are afraid to make money because they, they're told, well, money is the root of all evil, this and that, right. this and that. Um, what would you say to that? You know, as somebody that's been successful, that 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 has a lifestyle that that he wants to live, how would you respond to? Oh, no, no, being rich is bad. All my haters talk about it always being money. Yeah. Oh, it's because he has money. Is money now? The truth is, is I don't know who my friends are. Uh, I know I have a few friends, you know, like five um, that are friends with me. For me, the rest of them. We don't know. We don't know if they're there because they want to hang out or if they want the bennies of being around me, you know, financially. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I have never helped so many people ever in my life. You have to make money in order to help others. Yeah. And and I ask those people all the time, how many times do you volunteer? How many times do you get out and make pay some money to a you know, whatever this or that and and put your hard in earned work? Uh, where your you know your money made by that where your mouth is, and and the answer is is when I was when I was not wealthy and I was just working my butt off to pay rent and and you know that that process I didn't have time to go out and and help others I didn't have time to have dreams you know it was right. work my ass off for somebody else and so if I want wanted these things i had to go out and get them and, and trust me running your own business is hard work very oh, yeah. very hard work the the difference is is the rewards are great um and, and anybody that thinks that running a small business makes you rich holy cow that is ridiculous <laughs> <clears throat> i actually uh you know running those max muscle stores was the most difficult thing i've ever done it's retail and there was no money in it but people mm -hmm thought there was, um, you know, we'd make, 
between all four stores, we'd make over about 150,000 a month in gross revenue. Uh, but I wasn't making, I was making a couple grand, you know, okay. for me. So that, yeah. you know, it wasn't a lot. And, and once they became more successful, of course they, you know, and then you sell them and, and that really is helpful. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think when I think of a billionaire, I just think of how much freaking work they have to do mm. to be a billionaire. And I want no part of it, man. That's not my dream. I, I don't yeah. want to have billions. I want to be comfortable and I want to have freedom. And the only way I can have freedom is to not work my butt off for the rest of my life. Yeah, no, that's, and that's great. I love that, <clears throat> that, that philosophy of it too, because I'm, you know, I, I believe the same thing that, you know, um, it's there's nothing wrong with having nice things or even wanting nice things if as long as that's not you know there's that other aspect of like you said charity um getting out there volunteering you know being a being a voice for the voiceless so forth and so on um so i think that's yeah i would i, I wanted to ask you that because that was the first i think first time in any of the episodes i had that you know somebody with wealth um that at least you know that i that i was aware of yeah. <laughs> i could ask that of because i was just i'm just kind of curious about that well in society today man it is uh the <clears throat> one one percenters are frowned upon and, yeah. and it's it's just ignorance people don't understand first of all anybody can do anybody can make money that that's yeah. the beautiful thing about capitalism is that we can make money by having a great product or work ethic and just go out and do it. Shut up and do it. Go to work. And the, the problem is that we're ignorant as a, as a country to what it costs to run a business. You yeah. know, 30% of your income goes right to the tax man, you know, if not more. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, yeah. that's, you know, and then, then like you said, it's, it's not like you can just, wake up and you know have your entire day i mean you've got to work right. this you know it's 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 run a run a business is uh is not not easy it's not and, I, and the, the risk involved yeah. I, you have to literally put your life on the line and be willing to be uh, broke if it mm -hmm. doesn't work you know and that's some people aren't and hey i've got a kid like that that he's not gonna go out and take a risk you know, he, he's going to yeah. work for somebody for the rest of his life, but he's happy. And so we need all kinds of people, man. But oh, yeah. Yeah. just, just leave me alone. That's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your book. Uh, the son of a, is it the son of a ditch? It's uh, ditches to riches. Ditches to riches. Okay. Yeah. My, yeah. my bad. Let's talk a little bit about that book. Uh, your inspiration. What's it about? Yeah. So in uh, 2016, August 2016, because my life had not already been hard enough, um, <laughs> I actually suffered massive heart failure oh. uh, working in the courthouse one day. And I was given a presentation to 52 probation officers. And my wife to this point in time had always said, you're working too hard. You're going to have a heart attack. You're going to kill yourself. You're you know, slow it down. Well, I was standing there and I felt dizzy and I turned around and I laughed and I told everybody, <laughs> my wife always thinks I'm going to have a heart attack. And that was the last words I said before she had to administer CPR. Oh, and man. she caught my head literally before it hit the ground. And, uh, and that was very traumatic on her. And while I was in the hospital, luckily they had AED machines in the, in the courthouse. And so they brought one in, uh, brought me back to life twice. Uh, cause I 
came to life, then died and then came to life. <laughs> so uh, I woke up in the, <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, so I wake up in the hospital and and then people started visiting me and, and now mind you, I was given a death sentence that, you know, we don't know how long you're going to live. This is bad. And you, I mean, best case scenario, five years on the heart you have, you're probably going to need a heart transplant. So really you're talking about 15 years of your life that you have left maximum. Mm -hmm. However, you have to survive the first, the next six months first, uh, which is the most critical time. And so people were coming in and saying, saying their highs and goodbyes. And really what I got to do is witness my own funeral. And I realized a, there wasn't enough people coming in to see me at the hospital and, <laughs> and B, I was leaving nothing behind, uh, that was profound enough to call myself to, to say there was a legacy. And so I, when I got all done, I, I started writing this book sheerly to have my kids understand me so that they had something to hand down to their kids, um, and let it go down the pipeline. This book will be there forever. Um, what I found out was that it helps everybody. It helps a lot of, uh, people that I mentor, uh, and, and usually I mentor kids that are, you know, 18 to 35 that, that have had some adversity in their lives. And, and I think that's what this book is for. Um, it, you know, it's not just, it's not designed to be a motivational book. It is designed to give you tools and to tell you, Hey man, somebody's out there is screwed it up so bad and recovered from it and become something. And, you know, to totally spoil the book, Ditches to Riches, the riches in my book is um, relationships. It's not money. Mm. Um, I, I, I looked back on my life as I wrote the book and could see how much better I was living by the amount of people that were around me. Um, the people, you know, if you want to know how much people love you, just die once and you'll see. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. So, you know, it, it's done well and, and it's only done well because a lot of people wanted to know what the hell was going on up here. Most people don't know that I struggled with addictions and things. Yeah. It's been so long sober that everybody forgot what a POS I was back in the day. So oh, <laughs> uh, it's actually kind of fun. And so now I, you know, I teach, uh, the book is just a tool to kind of give you my basis, but I go out and I teach um, uh, feel, filter, think, flow to young kids that are starting to to have addiction issues and or have emotional issues. Um, and I, you know, I I try to do that as much as possible. I teach about two or three classes a summer, um, and then you know. Other people, anybody that will have me on and listen to my spiel, I'm happy to do so with them. So, there you uh, go. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I chose to get out of the matrix was the plan, you know. There you go. <laughs> I, you know, um, when you were talking there, so, you know, picked I picked up on something where you know when it comes to death, I'm I'm not afraid to die. I, that I have no fear in that whatsoever. My fear is nobody shows up for the. The visitation yeah. it's like yeah. <laughs> so i live my life just i i i don't want people to not want to come to the funeral and i don't want that to sound selfish i just want to know if i'm if i'm able to look down upon it i want to know that i at least made a positive impact mm -hmm. while i was here so that's you know yeah that's my biggest fear is uh, nobody comes to the visitation but absolutely uh, <laughs> with that said, though, let me say, with the, you know, karma, mother nature, whatever, whoever's listening, 
I don't want to have a heart attack right now. That yeah, please. Like, yeah, when you said it, it's it's kind of like, uh, you know, Mother Nature's like, oh, yeah, hold my beer. I'm going to, you know, and then all of a sudden you have a heart attack. It's like, what the heck? Um, oh something I've been intrigued about in, in your profile is uh, an acronym, L-L-Y-D. Let's talk Thanks. about that. Yeah, thank you. I was actually going to bring that up. So uh, I've learned how to die. I I had to learn how to live. And so LL, so it's live like you're dying. Mm -hmm. And, and that's the new philosophy I came up with when I got thought I was going to die. And I needed to go back out and see people and reestablish relationships and say goodbye. I went on a good uh, farewell tour, if you will. Um, I went and saw my family, certain family members and friends that I hadn't seen in a while and uh, learned how to say goodbye formally with them. And, and it was super sad. Uh, but the time we spent together during that while I was there, it was only a couple of days each, you know, um, was so valuable. Um, I took my wife to Mexico and every second we were together was just like I, time went by slow. It was meaningful. I didn't care what we were doing anymore. I just wanted to be with her. Um, and, and the same goes with most everybody, you know, it were, in fact, my, my buddy, uh, took on that slogan. He, he's my ride or die friend. And, um, and he changed careers and in doing so he got to pick kind of where he was gonna, uh, start his new career at. And he chose to be close to me. And, uh, finally the first time in since college, uh, we live we five miles from each other and I see him every single day now. And, and that's what I mean by it. just quit saying you're going to do something and do it. You got to do it, man. That, and that's where the book was established from. I just, I kept saying, I wanted to write one. Well, freaking do it, man. Yeah. And I'm going to guess you weren't an author before that. No, no. You just did it. You just said, it. I mean, I, I was never a podcaster before this podcast. I just said, do it. And right see what happens and adjust as you go. But so I think people get the most real Brian when you don't try and know what you're doing, you're getting <laughs> like the real person, you know, and, and that's what I do with everything. I just go out and learn by, by street smarts and, and example, you know, what, whatever life tests me, it teaches me a lesson and, and I try to move on from there, you know, uh, yeah. you get the, you get the real person that way. You've got uh, you've got a website, ronworley.com, yep. and I've been on it and surfed around a little bit. But let's tell everybody. Well, let's get into what you know. What all do you have going on? You got the book. You got the website. Yeah. How do people connect with Ron Worley? Yeah, yeah. So I do have the podcast too. It's Sons of Ditches. Season one is out. I've got season two. I'm working on now. Um, it, you know, it, I'm just trying to get little snippets of stories out there mm. with some of the people that I work with. Um, I do coach, uh, but I try not, to, I don't charge money for it. And I try not to be one of those coaches that tells you how to get rich. That's not my, by design, that's not what I'm made to do. Um, my purpose in this world is to guide helps and, and be that wisdom for people. And so I do that absolutely free. Um, I can help people uh, come up with values in their life and give them a springboard forward. And, and so if they want to hit me doing that, um, email me at ron at ronworley.com piece of cake. Um, I'll answer you back and we can start a conversation. We can do zoom or, or meet in person, whatever. Um, 
and, and then, you know, of course I'm a bail bondsman, a real estate agent and, and those things. But, uh, you know, as far as the book and stuff goes, find me on Amazon, uh, uh, Barnes and Noble, the, the general places, uh, or just go to my website. How about in the podcast? Is it available? iTunes, Spotify, all those, all of major, them. Yep. Yep. Very cool. Yep. Um, I was just going to say if, if, um, you know, if somebody's reaching out to you for the bail bondsman side of their, they really need to reach yeah. out to you because they need your <laughs> messages. I think if, if they're at that point, yeah, it's um, yeah, a scary place to be. <laughs> um, so in, in the last few moments that we have together, is there, um, you know, I just want to open it. Uh, if there's anybody, uh, shout outs, uh, words of wisdom, anything, that that you just want to leave um, leave us with? Yeah, man. I, so the words of wisdom, I I believe this wholeheartedly. Our past does not define us, and if we can just get up in the morning, look in the mirror, and love that person, we're off to a good day. Um, if you don't, don't let it hit you, man. You come back to it. The the great thing about the image in the mirror is that it changes. It's different every time. We just start over. So if you screw up, fix it. Don't fix it. Apologize, whatever you got to do, but go back to the mirror and with a clean slate and, and love that person in the mirror uh, and, and move forward. Always move forward. Nobody has, uh, nobody gives a rats what you've done wrong. After a while we forget. Uh, and I, I'm a man uh, taking a good apology anytime. So, uh, you know, of course I have values and I think that's good for everybody. Uh, if you don't have any, go find some, call me, I'll get you some. Um, but yeah, man, don't don't let the the mistakes in our lives define your your present or future. Yeah, that's great. That's great uh, words of wisdom, and and it did bring up another question here. So I got to keep you for another minute. Um, no let's let's talk about defining those values because I know uh, that could be a hard thing to do, especially that when somebody's kind of crawling out of that that hole they've dug. Um, you know, if, if somebody's looking, saying, "Hey, Ron, I don't." I don't know how to define the values I have. What would be something you could offer? Just say, just start here with it. Right. Yeah. So go to mayhemmindset.com. Uh, they have a, that's, that's the company I'm affiliated with. They actually have um, like a starter test kit there. Mm. Uh, that's a good way to, to sort of get your mind into it. But really at the end of the day, what we're looking for is what your B is. Your B is your core. And, at your talents, your values, and your purpose. And once we've established that, who you be, then the, uh, the rest, the what you do follows real easy. Because then all of a sudden, everything we do is towards our B. Um, yeah. and, and so I try to live my B every day. Um, the 10 values, that, that comes easy once you figure out what your, you know, what your, what your B is. Um, so I challenge everybody to, to, uh, think about it that way. We all have values somewhere inside of us. We just may not talk about them. We may not use them to the forefront of our lives. Uh, and when I talk about getting out of the matrix, that's what I mean. You live a different type of life when you actually live according to your values rather than emotion, um, which we need emotion or life would suck. I mean, literally life would suck if we didn't have emotion. Uh, but our reaction to emotion needs to change, especially in America. Honestly, we're so upside down and, and yeah. black is white and white is black and it's just bad. And if people would feel, think, 
filter and flow, we would yeah. <laughs> be better off. <laughs> Everybody needs to listen to Ron. You say that one more time, your your acronym there. One more time. Feel, be- feel filter, think, flow. All right, that's great. Feel, filter, think, and flow. Yep. Did I get it? Yep. All right. Well, <laughs> very cool. I Anybody that's listening, you know, the audience, or if you're watching this video, uh, go check out Ron's website, check out his podcast, check out his book. I did not get a chance to get to the book before our, our conversation today, but I will be reading the book. Um, and you know, Hey, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can get you to commit to maybe being on this show again, later on down the road. Cause I think we just started scratching the surface here today. Absolutely. All I'm right. happy to be, man. That'd be fun. All <laughs> right. Well, I am going to keep your contact information close by and, uh, and yeah, I'll be reaching out again. Uh, down the road uh, as this uh, podcast continues to grow and develop. So, Ron, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate your time. I know you're busy, um, but but uh, your story is a great one. Uh, thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me on, man. All good right. to meet you. Yeah, good to meet you. Hang tight. Don't go anywhere. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a little post-stream conversation here. All right, brother. There you go. There you have it. My conversation with Ron Worley. That was a fun one. Please be sure you uh, check out Ron's links that I'll include in the description below. Go ahead and show him some love and support. And, and, and likewise, if, if if you'd like to support the show, there's, there's several ways or a few ways. I don't know. Maybe I can come up with several, but there's a few ways off the top of my head you could help. You could follow this podcast. That way you get notified every time a new episode goes uh, or gets dropped. I'll about said go live, but you know what I mean. You can follow the podcast. Make sure you give it a share out on your social media platforms. And you know, if you do want to support us in a financial type way, because running a podcast is not always cheap, you can uh, you can do so through uh, the Patreon page. The link will be in the description below. Um, you can watch all the videos there of 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 these these interviews and it's absolutely no cost to you so please show your love show your support and until next time this is brian telling you to aim high be courageous and go do amazing things and you will go do amazing things